number 10 of Brendan Taylor. Adams has got the Australian captain. We're talking about Rivada, we're talking about how good he is. And there it is. It's 39th one day international 100. The King gets his crown at the Adelaide Oval. Go on, Tegan! Deep in Wigan. Glenn Maxwell celebrates Vivek Kohli. Cannot believe it in the middle of the ground. Welcome to the Dean at Stumps podcast. Zimbabwe's only weekly cricket show with expert analysis by Dean Duplessis. Hello and welcome to the Dean at Stumps podcast. My name is Dean Duplessis. Uh, great to be with you uh, once again. And as we always do at the top of the show, if you're listening to the Dean at Stumps podcast for the first time, just a reminder that you can subscribe to the podcast via the various podcast apps, the likes of Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Overcast, Downcast. You search for Dean at Stumps, you subscribe, and you listen to some fantastic interviews. Kumar Sangakara is the latest one available on the podcast but now it gives me huge amounts of pleasure to welcome uh, Zimbabwean born he played for Western Australia came back and played for Zimbabwe with a great deal of success also was very successful at Sussex for a number of years and Glamorgan Murray Goodwin Maza how are you doing mate I'm good, thanks, Dino. Thank you for having me. <laughs> uh, so the pleasure is all mine, I can tell you. So, Maza, I, I want you to take us back to where it all started. So you were born in Zimbabwe. You, you played a little bit of junior cricket in Zimbabwe. And then as a youngster, uh, your parents opted and decided to move on to Australia. So uh, take up the story from there. Tell us what it was like when you played a bit of junior cricket in Zimbabwe and then uh, having to adapt and, and play in Australia. Sure. Well, I was just very fortunate that my my dad was um, heavily involved with sport in uh, in Zimbabwe, and um, he used to run holiday clinics called Eagles, where a number of Zimbabwe players, like you know the Flower Brothers, uh, my oldest brother Daryl, um, then uh, second oldest brother Brian, uh, came through. We had you know Heath Streak, uh, Craig Wishart, Stuart Carlisle, these sort of guys who I ended up playing. Zim with, um, all came through that Eagles, um, tournament, which was in the, in the holidays. But I think what really benefited me in Zimbabwe was not only having a, a sporting family and the dad who was passionate about cricket was, uh, the school system, the school cricket system, uh, in Zimbabwe, I, I found was quite strong. Right. So, you know, we, we had a, a lot of good teams, a lot of good schools who were competitive. And we, when I was at uh, St. John's, uh, that was at the private school, the primary school, and then at the start of the college, I was there for the first year. We had some good school uh, cricket teachers there, and and I, I really enjoyed that. And But I, I put it down to definitely my father putting so much time and effort. Uh, he even made a... Um, a turf wicket, and it was half half a pitch type thing in the backyard when we lived in uh, Mount Pleasant. So, you know, that was hugely beneficial for not only myself but also my brothers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and then, of course, now, so I guess in arriving in Australia, because you, you know, your your dad was so very passionate, and he, I, I suppose, prepared you. So arriving in Australia and and the faster, bouncier pitches. Um, how did you find that? Did you adapt relatively quickly? Was it, was it very different to Zimbabwe? It was so different because I went to a school here that was a public school uh, and I, there was no school cricket. And so basically it was all club cricket. Now, my dad uh, quickly got involved. Uh, we moved south of Perth to a place called Bunbury 
and uh, it was a two-hour drive. So we started in Perth and then, um, you know, in Perth, most of the clubs, all, all the decent clubs who are in the WACA competition have got turf nets. You come down here to Bunbury and no one's got turf nets. It's all this artificial stuff, right? So it's all bouncy sort of astroturf stuff. And when we were playing juniors down here, it was a bit of a privilege, whereas in Zimbabwe, when you're playing school cricket and stuff like that, you, you're playing on turf all the time. So you're very, very lucky, whereas here we hardly played uh, until I was about sort of 14, 15, uh, on, um, uh, often on turf cricket, uh, uh, wickets, sorry, and it was mainly uh, on, on AstroTurf. So we were training and stuff like that, and so it is. It is much bouncier, and um, you know sometimes it can be a bit quicker. But uh, you just it gets it gets a bit lazy because you, the the bounce is usually quite true. So whereas you're playing on turf, you can get the varying bounces and stuff like that. So um, you know playing on turf was was a huge difference uh when you're coming from astroturf here in australia but I, what when i was coming over to australia i'll never forget you know having made the zim junior size the partridges and stuff like that i, I was i was confident i was going to hold my own but i didn't know how good i was going to be compared to the all the australian cricketers in, in terms of you know australian cricket is strong so compared to zimbabwe cricket so i didn't know how i was going to fare but you know, just just the love for the game and the the effort my my father put in, you know, with me. Um, I, I managed to come over here and hold my own and started doing quite well in this uh, country region, so called, rather than in Perth. And then you move up to Perth eventually. Uh, you know, once you start doing well in the country and you want to challenge yourself and see how you go up there and then try out for state teams and stuff. So. I challenged myself against them, uh, against the Perth guys, and yeah, managed to do quite well. So it was just, it was one of those things where I was quite lucky. I think having that grounding in Zimbabwe, obviously having a, a family that was sporting um, mad, and and my dad who was very good at coaching and uh, u- using his skills at cricket uh, to help us, and then um, yeah, moving up the the ranks here in Australia. Mm. And I mean, uh, it, it must have been quite something for you to when you suddenly realized that, you know, I'm, I'm actually very, if I continuously churn out runs for the academy sides and so on, that I might be sharing a room with people I've heard about playing for Western Australia, you know, maybe, you know, who played Sheffield Shield and, and everything else. Suddenly, I'm actually going to be sharing a dressing room with them. It, well, was it pretty daunting? What was that like? Yeah, it was amazing because I'll never forget when I first came to Australia, uh, we were in Perth for two months. My dad was working up there and so we were trying to find clubs and I'll never forget I played um, an under-15s game. I was 13, just turned 14. I played an under-15s game in Perth and Damien Martin, who was a year above me, um, you know, who played for Australia, Damien Martin was playing on the field um, next to me, and he made a hundred, and that was under seventeens. Wow! And I'll never forget that was my first, um, you know, knowledge of Damien Martin, and that was my first game in Australia. And then I eventually, you know, uh, playing uh, through the um, grade system here in Perth, I eventually um, made the WA under nineteens. Uh, Damien wasn't in that because he was a year above me. Yeah, yeah. Or two years above me, but he basically 
Uh, I did well in the under-19s and they, they invited me to come to the Western Australian squad because um, we won the under-19s, played the final at the WACA. I managed to make 139. We won the tournament and um, they invited me to the WA squad and there I was standing with Damien Martin and I, I said to him, I said, you know, I'll never forget this. You, you would not know who I am, but... This is what happened when I first came to Australia. I, I saw you made 100 at Mount Lawley, and he was playing for Wanneroo, and I was playing for Mount Lawley, but in, on the field next door uh, in the under-15s, and he was playing under-17. So, um, yeah, and uh, he, he was, you know, we sort of formed a friendship from that, uh, then obviously played a, a fair bit at Western Australia, and he was my captain um, for a bit there. What was it? Who else would you have played with? That is fascinating, though, to hear that story. And, and who else, other than Damien Martin? Surely there would have been some more uh, well-known names who would, would have been in your, in that, you know, in that side in your era. Oh, look, I was, um, I was a bit overawed. I remember getting called up uh, for my debut for for Western Australia. I was, I was doing some work at a bottle store that my club Subiaco Floriat. Uh, had got me some work, you know, coming from the country, I had to find a place to live and, you know, find some work so I can do my training at the Wacker and once I was in the squad. And um, Daryl Foster called me up, who was the coach at the time, and he said, look, mate, um, Justin Lang has been called away to Australia and we want you to um, make your debut and play against England. And I thought, oh, beauty. And... Uh, he said, we want you to bat number three. And I went, oh, that's awesome. Thank you. And uh, I'll never forget him. I opened, uh, well, Mark Lavender and Michael Valletta opened oh, the batting. Yes. Yeah. And then I was three. Then you had Damian Martin, four. You had Tom Moody, five. Um, at the time, number six was Brad Hogg. Wow. He was more of a batter then. And number seven was Adam Gilchrist. Uh, then you had uh, Brendan Julian, oh, yes. you had Joe Angel. Uh, you, yeah, it was a it was a terrific team. And then then once uh, those guys sort of started falling away, like your Mike Valletta's and Lavenders, and that, you had Simon Kadich and Michael Hussey uh, come through the system. And then obviously I went back to Zimbabwe, and um, uh, that's when Huss and Caddo sort of started making their progress. But uh, yeah, it was just one of those teams where I'll never forget when Justin Langer came back to WA at number three, I moved down to number six and then you had Adam Gilchrist at number seven. So it was just a, an awesome team. And we basically, yeah, we did well. Uh, at, at, you know, we made the final that year. I think we lost it against Queensland who had Alan Border and, you know, but they had half the Australian team at the time. And yeah, it was brilliant. And then, as you say, the decision came to move back to Zimbabwe. Now, you were beginning to make very good strides in a Western Australian setup. Um, I suppose, you know, you, you, the human side of you would have said, if I continue to score runs, who knows, maybe in a couple of years' time, I could be playing for Australia. Or did you always have a feeling that, look, the likes of, of Gilchrist, Martin, all of these guys who you've mentioned are, are going to get in ahead of me. Maybe it wouldn't be a bad idea to go back to the country of my birth where I would be practically guaranteed a, a position in the, in, the, in the starting lineup. Yeah, it was. It was a bit of both. Um, I was thinking of uh, sticking it out in Australia and maybe possibly even moving state uh, because, 
Yes, uh, Damien was still in the, in the team. He hadn't uh, gone back to Australia at the time. And then when Justin came back, I'd moved to number six. And I felt, how am I going to get up the order mm. to make Australia, uh, you know, to, to push my – because uh, very rarely, I mean, I don't think it's heard of uh, that many people make Australia batting at number six. No. Okay, in, here in in uh, the um, double or the Australian system, the Sheffield Shield, there hasn't been many cricketers who have been a batter that has been considered to bat. Uh, or make Australia batting at number six. They usually uh, one to five or one to four sort of areas, right? So I was thinking, how do I go to play for Australia? Do I move state or do I just gut it out here and then hopefully, you know, someone goes away to Australia, I'll go and do well. And I, I felt that I wasn't going to get into number three, four or five because you got Justin Lang and Damien Martin, Tom Moody. Obviously, Justin played a fair bit more for Australia, and then so did Damien. So there was opportunities um, down the track, but I didn't want to rely on that because you don't know. You don't know whether they will make Australia again. Yeah. You know, even though they're wonderful players, you just never know. Um, so I just thought, well, I either move states or I go back to Zimbabwe because Zim and all my mates. You know, we're saying, come on, come back here. We'll have a great time. You know, things are improving with the country, the, the cricket. You'll make a difference, blah, blah, blah. So I felt that was the right decision at the time. Um, you know, I, I otherwise I probably would have had to have moved state, which I didn't really want to. You know, obviously our family was here and I love playing for Western Australia and I, I love playing at the Wacker as well. Yeah, yeah. And and uh, so you were then approached, am I right in saying that you were approached by what was then Zimbabwe Cricket Union. A letter was written to you explaining that Dave Houghton was about to retire and that you would be the perfect because of your experience playing uh, at a very high first-class level. You know, you would, I suppose, solidify that top and middle order quite nicely. Yeah, I, I was. And I was asked that, you know, saying Davey's going to retire soon and probably coach, uh, would you come back and, you know, bat in the top order. And that was exciting because, you know, I didn't really want to move states and go and uh, try my luck there uh, up the order, even though, you know, I, I was open to that challenge as well. But I just – I also felt like it would be good fun to come back and play with a lot of my close friends from, from the childhood days and travel the world, playing, you know, testing myself against the best. So that was – probably um what lured me there and uh you know i was hopeful that things might improve not only with the cricket uh what, the way cricket was run but also the country so that's that's why i sort of came back and yeah and i i just i was excited to be honest dean i i, I wanted to make sure that i was uh going to give it a hundred percent i even bought a house there i was going to be there for the next 10 years but then once I got wind of how thing, how the cricketers were getting treated, I decided to, um, you know, oh, I was lucky enough that I had options, uh, whereas some of the other guys didn't have options. You know, I could come back to Australia. Yeah, absolutely. But I would imagine, uh, and as you rightly say, cricketers already then were were beginning to be treated quite shoddily, really. But 
Amongst all of that, I would imagine, despite the fact that Zimbabwe only won two test matches while you and Neil Johnson were here, but, but there was some incredibly good cricket that was played. Uh, I mean, your 166 against Pakistan springs to mind, your 113 against a very good West Indies bowling attack comes to mind, and, and 148 not out that you made against England at Trent Bridge was, was another gem. Well, would those be some of the highlights of your career with Zimbabwe? Oh, definitely. Definitely. I think also um, winning the Test Series, even though it was a bit of a farce uh, with the fog in that in, in Pakistan, yeah. we won the Test Series there, which is unheard of. You know, very rarely do uh, foreigners go over there and win a Test Series. And I, I know there was a lot of fog intervened uh, with with play there and stuff like that. But that was, that was a great um, feeling to know that we won that first Test and uh, then, you know, we had... The the last test it was half fog and we drew that I think and um yeah they the second test was fogged out and I know it sounds uh, amazing but we couldn't literally we're sitting in the change rooms couldn't actually see the wickets out on the pitch wow. um it was just that uh, fogged up but yeah I that that's springs to mind but obviously um you know the hundreds are great and you know winning games uh, for Zim and uh, my second. One day international, I think it was. Um, I made a hundred in Sri Lanka, yes. and that was that was nice. And I was I was due to make a hundred on my debut Test match in Sri Lanka for Zimbabwe, but I stuffed it up by getting seventy. Um, but yeah, it was it was one of those um, those periods where we may not have won many Test matches, but we were very competitive in one day cricket, and. We had a lot of good times, a lot of fun. There was, there was, uh, you know, most of us got along really well. Uh, it wasn't like there was anyone in our team who we thought, oh, you know, he's a bit of a misfit or whatever. It was really, really good fun. And um, that was the, the disappointing thing uh, for me um, was to sort of have to walk away from that. I was just about to ask you, how, how difficult or how easy was it, you know, for you and, and Tash to make that decision that, you know what, this isn't going to work out. As much as we loved it here, we enjoyed the World Cup, we had huge success in the 1999 World Cup. I mean, just tell us about that. That must have been almost a bit of a dream come true to play in the World Cup and, and to have the success that the team did. I mean, I, surely that will be one of your bigger highlights as well. Oh, huge, mate. Uh, that 99 World Cup is one of the highlights for sure. You know, for us to have gone over there and made the, the Super Sixes and, and, you know, do what I thought was really well for a, for a small nation. We were punching above our weight. And we could have made the semifinals if um, Herschel had uh, held that catch and Steve Waugh didn't um, score that 100 to win that match. Uh, because if, if South Africa had won that, they would have gone through and we would have gone through on, on the point system. So we were watching that in the hotel room uh, after we had beaten South Africa. And um, so we were all obviously disappointed. We were thought, oh, well, you know, Steve Waugh's still got a long way to go. He's still a huge score to get but he just played amazingly well everything he hit went into the gaps and we were disappointed obviously as a team but that 99 world cup was was awesome and you know for us leading up to that world cup we were having real issues with the zimbabwe Cricket union because they were you know paying us a pittance and uh we decided to sort of and it, it's not i'm not not that i'm proud of it but i i, I feel it's 
it's something where people need to understand what we were going through as our preparation. We were trying to play the best World Cup ever, and for most of us, it was only going to be a a one-off World Cup. We don't go to you know many World Cups, some of us, so we had to make the most of it. And we were getting paid a pittance, and and suddenly, uh, after much trials and tribulations and striking and whatever, that the Zimbabwe Union suddenly quadrupled our our payments. Uh, but still, after quadrupling it, uh, the bus driver on our tour of the World Cup was getting paid more than us. <laughs> but uh, it was just one of those situations where we just had to get on with it. Um, and, and because we loved playing for Zim and we loved, uh, you know, playing together as a team, we we, we did well. I, I was really proud of what we achieved, you know, even though we didn't quite get to the last um, four, but we we held our own. We, we beat some good teams there. And, uh, you know, it's just one of those situations where you get on with things and you enjoy it and whatever comes, comes. And it's not always about the money. It's just about trying your best against the best. And, uh, you know, that's, that's how we took it on. Mm. Dave Houghton, in an interview with me, said that he knew that his time was up as coach after that World Cup because he felt that players got tired of hearing the same voice. And I mean, he's absolutely right because every coach has a shelf life, doesn't? Don't you? You have your four or five years with a team, uh, and then and that's that. So he he kind of felt that you know my time has come. But ZCU at the time uh, asked him to stay on, so off you went to uh, you know you went to the West Indies and then you went on to England. And that's when things started happening. Suddenly we heard that Murray Goodwin has become the first Colpac player to play for Sussex, so he'll be leaving Zimbabwe. Then we heard Neil Johnson will be playing for Hampshire and for Western Province. When did you personally decide, I've had my fun and my time here, but I'm I'm done. This isn't going to be a, a, a winning situation. Well, only because over the years I was uh, back in Zim, everyone kept promising me that things were going to be different, right? And... Uh, the Zimbabwe Cricket Union uh, would give us a pay rise in Zimbabwe dollars of 20%. But as we know, yeah. at the time, uh, in I think it was 99 or 98, uh, inflation was 85%. And so when you're getting a 20% rise and inflation's at 85%, um, you're losing out big time, especially if you're trying to use that money to convert it into real money like US dollars or Australian dollars, you're losing out. And so we couldn't really survive. And being international cricketers, we knew that the money was getting paid for TV rights. And so all we wanted to do was just get paid fairly in proper money, okay, not in Zimbabwe dollars. But And I understand the Zimbabwe Cricket Union, they didn't want to um, – you know, give up some of their earnings that uh, they were getting from TV rights uh, to pay us. I, I understand that. You know, that's what a business does. It, it, it tries to make as much profit as possible. But I, and I, along with others, just kept sort of feel like we're beating our head against a wall. And I remember sitting with Andy Flower after Alistair um, had stepped down as captain and Andy took on the, the captaincy as a like interim period uh, when we were in England uh, and I went and sat with him and I said, mate, I said, I've got this opportunity. We've, there's a couple of states back in Australia who've offered me three-year contracts and, um, you know, 
I said, what's happening with ours, you know, because are we going to get this international payments? Are we going to get this? Are we going to get that? And he goes, yeah, yeah, we're working on it. And I said, well, we've been working on it for years, and these guys keep saying, yes, it's coming, but they never deliver. And so Andy just said, look, Mars, just don't go. We, we really need you here, blah, blah, blah. And it was a really tough time. I, I virtually, um, I nearly got divorced over it uh, because I had arguments with my wife. I loved playing for Zim. I loved traveling the world, playing against the best with my mates, you know, with my close mates. And um, I had to think about it long and hard. My wife just said to me, said, look, if you want to stay, you stay, but I've got to go. You can't get, keep getting treated like this. I mean, none of you are happy. You're only happy when you guys are playing cricket. But when you're not playing cricket, you guys are all complaining, you know, and that's just not how, how life should be. Yeah. And so I thought about it, and she was absolutely right. So I eventually said, look, to Dave Elman Brown, who was the CEO at the time, said, Dave, I'm, I'm going to go um, to Zimbabwe. And he says, oh, well, look, we're, we're having a meeting in two weeks' time. Uh, can you let me know? I said, well, I've got to sign this contract literally in 10 days' time. If I don't, they will employ someone else because it's a deadline in Australia that you have to have your whole squad signed up by, um, I think it was end of 30th of June or something. And um, he said, no, well, look, I'll give you an answer after the meeting. I said, well, I need to know. And he never got back to me. So then and I said, Dave, can you let, can you let me know in a, in a week's time just, you know, what what's going to happen? And he never called me back. And then... So I had to sign because I had nowhere else to go. In my mind, I was thinking nothing ever is going to change with Zim. And so I signed the, uh, the contract with Western Australia. And then when I came back to Zimbabwe um, to basically uh, sort of pack up my house and that, David on around gives me a call and he goes, oh, look, you know, I can't believe you didn't um, uh, let us know that you'd actually signed or whatever. I said, mate, I, I rang you. I spoke to you. Cut a long story short, uh, th- that's what's happened. And, um, you know, I, I felt really let down because I felt like I had been a, a decent employee and, um, you know, when, when your employer doesn't want to call you back because they've got a meeting two weeks' time and, uh, you know, it, he knew the the urgency of the situation. And if, if that was me and I had a, an employer a employee who was doing well, I would be saying, look, mate, Let's let's sort this out. Let's sort this out and find a way. But he didn't. So that's how it, it sort of eventuated. And, and like I said, I nearly got divorced over it because I was loving my time with the you know the Zim boys and uh, living in Zim. And then suddenly you went from a stuttering uh, stuttering situation in Zimbabwe to a very uh, I suppose, well-oiled machine in terms of Sussex. Now, you were languishing at the bottom. Sussex was languishing at the bottom of the table in the second division. Suddenly, you arrive there, and you go on to win the second division, and then in 2003, you go on to win the county championship. I wonder what's, what, what was then known as Zimbabwe Cricket Union would have been thinking to themselves, having let you go. Uh, I mean, it's not just entirely. I mean, it's a team effort. I, I understand that, but but you would have contributed significant significantly towards the success of Sussex. Yeah, look, I I was really happy. So I came back to Australia after leaving uh, leaving Zim, and um, I managed to bump into Dean Jones, the ex Australian cricketer, and I uh, got chatting to him, 
And I said, yeah, look, I'm looking at going to the UK. He goes, well, look, I've got a, a manager. He said, you know, I might be able to open a door for you somewhere. And lo and behold, this guy gives me a call and says, look, mate, he says, Sussex, uh, Michael Bevan has been picked on the the 2001 Ashes. Uh, would you like to go to Sussex? And I said, I'd be really keen. So he put my name in the hat and uh, because I'd just done well in that previous tour uh, in 2000 and made 100 against England and that, uh, they got me in there and, and I was I was really cheap. I was the cheapest overseas player, but I didn't care. I didn't yeah. care about the money. I just want to get my foot in the door and then hopefully if I do well and Michael Bevan comes back to Su- Sussex after that Ashes tour, which he, which he still had a, another year on his contract. Right. Um, I would just uh, try and find another county, you see. So that's how I was looking at it. And fortunately, I actually made more runs than Michael did um, in in that year. So Sussex actually eventually, and because we won it, um, most of the, the team guys actually were saying, I hope Michael Bevan doesn't get uh, come back. And that's I, I think Michael's a decent guy. There's no no question there. But some of the guys had a few run-ins with him. Right, right. And so it was one of those things where I was I felt like really privileged that here I am, uh, little old Zimbabwe Murray, uh, with the great Michael Bevan. Um, you know, they, they wanting to keep me and uh, pay him out, and basically that's what happened. It's absolutely amazing. And if I remember correctly, because do you remember while when Zimbabwe were touring England, uh, so we played the test matches, didn't do well at Lord. Streaky was the only one who really put his hand up there. And But then everybody played considerably better at Trent Bridge, may even have won the test match had it not been for huge amounts of rain. But then you yeah. you went on a, on a run glut, uh, basically, where you scored huge hundreds for Zimbabwe in a whole bunch of tour games. And if I remember correctly, did you not actually score 100 against Sussex? Is that... I seem to remember you getting 190 odd um, in a, in a warm up game, but I don't quite remember who it was against. Um, yeah, no, that was um, that was against Gloucestershire. Yes, yes. But um, yeah, I, I did get runs against Sussex, uh, but that was in a one day game. Right, right. Yeah, and, um, and I'm wondering but, if they then started. Sorry, to, carry on. Yeah, I'm just wondering if they then started to look out for you and say, "Hang about." We know things. A lot of these players aren't particularly happy. Murray's made it clear that he's not happy. Let's see what we can do. Bevo, as everyone calls him, will be playing. Um, uh, will be playing in the Ashes next year. Let's 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 try and entice Murray to come and play for us. Yeah, I was I was fortunate that there was a couple of um, uh, counties who were sort of semi interested, but yeah, it was one of those things where um, Sussex, because of Michael having that break, uh, decided to. Um, Take the take the punt, I suppose. You know, because I was only on a one year thing, but I was happy with that. Like I said, I just wanted to get my foot in the door. Uh, I've always wanted to experience county cricket because uh, they play as a batter. You, you, you're constantly playing, and I'm not really a net person. So to go out there and, and play in the middle a lot uh, was something that suited me. And, and Mazza, your highest first-class score, 344 not out. Now, I know that you had a season with the Warriors in South Africa as well, but it's quite remarkable. So you're, you're, in, in terms of 
your highest test score is 166 not out against Pakistan. Yeah. Your highest one-day score is 112 not out against the West Indies at Chester Street. Zimbabwe winning that game. You and Grant Flower batting incredibly well. And then your your highest first-class score, 344 not out. I mean, you scored just over 27,000 first-class runs with 7,100s. Goodness me. I mean, that's almost in the, in the, in the eliteness of Graham Hick. You know, I mean, that's phenomenal. I mean, did you ever in your wildest, I suppose, dreams imagine coming from Mount Pleasant in Harare that you'll end your career with 71 first-class hundreds, uh, a test average of 42? Uh, you know, there's a lot to be to be a proud of. That's 344 not out, for example. Tell us a bit about that innings. Well, I'll t- I tell you what, it was, yeah, I, you never, ever s- set out to achieve these sort of records. You just try and do your best all the time. But I, I did have, uh, early on in my career, I did have a, a goal of trying to make a double hundred. And then um, I remember Mike Hussey making a triple hundred for North the one year um, in county cricket. And I, I remember calling him up saying, brilliant effort type thing. And he said, oh, it won't be far before you make one because uh, I'd made a couple of <laughs> uh, double hundreds. And um, yeah, it was just one of those things in 2003 where Sussex, were um, we, we needed three points or something. The point system in, in the county system is, um, yeah, it's a little bit weird, but yeah. it's hard to explain yeah. quickly on, yeah. on this. But we needed three points to win the championship. And so basically we had to get uh, to 300 uh, So yet you have one point at um, 200, then another point at 250, and then, and a third point at 300. So we needed three points to win the championship. And I remember talking in the huddle before the game and I said, guys, I said, if we've all got the attitude that I want to be there when those winning runs are hit, I've, I feel we'll, we'll win this game and we'll win the championship. And, um, that's, it just so happened that I was the one who actually hit those runs and I went on and, uh, I, I kept batting and I, I kept thinking, oh, I wonder when we're going to declare. And I kept asking and looking at the dressing room. They said, keep batting, keep batting. And eventually um, I made 335 in that game right. and uh, not out. And then they called me in. But there was a massive cheer just before that because what happened was I'd broken the Sussex record that was uh, by Sanjit Ranji or some guy back in the 1800s, you know, uh, or early 1900s. He, he had this uh, record that stood for years. And, you know, Sussex is the oldest county there and hadn't won a first division county championship. And this was the first time ever. Amazing. And for me to hit those winning runs was, you know, it, I look back on it now and it's amazing, but I, at the time I was just thinking, oh, I'm just there to, you know, try and make as many runs as I can and win the game for Sussex <laughs> and try and win a trophy. But the the amount of, like, people who came up and were in tears with the members who'd been there for so long, it just really hit home of how much it meant to people. And, uh, yeah, then, then to go on uh, a few years later, I think it was 2009, um, I played against Justin Langer, who was the captain of Somerset. And Somerset was a, a, a pretty good batting track, uh, especially back then. And, yeah, we were batting and uh, managed to make, you know, I think it was about 800 and something like that. <laughs> it, was a, it was a lot. And um, I managed to get the 344 and 
the the guys said to me, said, look, I, I think it was at, uh, at tea time, the, uh, they said, look, should we declare and have a go at them? Uh, because this is on the second day, right? right? And should we declare and have a go and try and win this game? And I said, definitely. They said, right, Murray, you got you got half an hour to bat. And I was, I think, about three 290 or something like that and I just went out there and I got my 300 and then I just kept going uh, type thing until they called me in I was trying to get to 350 but they called me in it was 344 we declared and tried to have a go at them but we only bowled them out once yeah it's such a flat pitch there isn't it it's very seldom that you're going to get 20 wickets on that pitch at, at Taunton I guess um, yeah, that that because at that time it was um, yeah it wasn't uh, wasn't doing a lot in terms of spin and stuff like that. Yeah, so uh, so getting wickets was was quite tricky, which is why Graham Hick also scored four hundred and five not out. Of course, that was many many years before that, but even so, it's uh, notorious for very high scoring um, efforts. Now, I want to take you forward a number of years. I want to take you to twenty eleven, and we heard through the grapevine, Maz, and hopefully you can clear this up once and for all. Is Zimbabwe were on the verge of returning to test cricket after their self-imposed exile where they were trying desperately to sort things out and, and get a team together. And uh, it then started, then uh, the news broke that you were enticed to come back at the very end of your career. So maybe you would have been about 38, 39 at the time and quite possibly Captain Zimbabwe. Uh, as Zimbabwe came back into Test cricket in 2011, is that true? And what happened for, if it is, what happened for all of that to have fallen through? So, look, it, it was one of those things where I was I was looking to come back in 2003 when Jeff Marsh was uh, coach for the World Cup. Yeah. Okay, so I was trying to work out a deal because Jeff wanted me to come back and possibly even captain then. Yeah. Uh, in 2003, uh, World Cup in South Africa and Zim. And um, I I said, look, I'm, I'm up for it. I said, you know, just let let the Zimbabwe Cricket Union know that, you know, I get paid at Sussex and I get paid at Western Australia. So, you know, something can be sorted where I don't lose out on, on payments uh, in terms of financial gain. Um, I'd be happy to come, uh, come over and play for Zim. It'd be be awesome. So he said, yep, leave it with me. And basically it just fell on their fears and uh, that never eventuated. Then, then later on, yes, um, I was asked to come back and potentially captain them and they put it to the board and I was, I was keen again and I said the same thing. Look, I'm playing there and I'm playing at Western Australia um, time. Or actually, um, I'd stopped playing at Western Australia. I was just playing in, in Sussex. So I said, look, I'm keen to come over and they said um, look we'll get back to you and never did so I heard I heard along the grapevine and uh, I know this is going to sound racist but I heard that they didn't really want to have another white guy come in um, right. especially a guy who's older and probably on the last few years of his uh, career um, rather look at the youth and, and that's fair enough I I totally get that. I just um, just wish I'd heard uh, back. Basically, yeah. <laughs> it was just one of those things where I was just sort of left there, and I was I was asked would I, would I be keen, and then uh, basically <laughs> nothing ever eventuated, and I've gone oh okay, yeah, 
Obviously, they don't want me. <laughs> yeah, it's just a pity that you didn't hear back. And and but then, of course, the other side of the grapevine, Mazza, would be that the reason why they didn't get back to you is, and it's certainly not me suggesting it. I'm simply quoting what I heard. Is that quote? Um, your demands in terms of payment were a bit too high, and they opted maybe to, to to go with Brendan Taylor as a captain, and as you say, invest their time in some of the younger players, be it black or white players. You know, just the younger players coming through the system. What what would your response be to such a statement? Yeah, look, all all I said was, look, this is this is what I'm earning. Um, can can you guys get close to this? That's what I said. Right. Um, and so obviously, you know, it was probably too much for, for them. I said, look, if, if you can't do, um, this as a whole, I said, would I be able to still play for Sussex in the winter if there's not any international duties? Can I play for Sussex so I don't lose out on that? Uh, income for my family, and uh, I'll commit to Zimbabwe, and, and we can sort out a package there. How does that sound? Um, but like I said, they never got back to me. So th- this was all discussed, um, but it wasn't um, obviously forthright coming from the the board. They didn't really. They obviously wanted to get me um, for a lot less money. So that is your playing career, Maza. As we conclude, what are you doing now in terms of of coaching? You know, is is that an avenue you've looked at? Could you possibly, maybe, would you consider one day? Would you like to be a coach coaching a Test team, and more specifically, a team like Zimbabwe? Would Would you ever consider that? Yeah, I would. Um, I must admit, at the moment, I'm just paying the bills, uh, doing a, a real estate uh, career at the moment, and but I've I've done my level three. Excuse me, I've done my level three coaching. I've been coaching in Perth, a club, and, I, and I've been head coach of the, uh, like batting coach in Perth and, and the head coach down here in Bunbury. Nice. And uh, I've, I've enjoyed it. I, I'm still coaching, but I'm, I'm mainly doing sort of individual stuff and I'm helping out with my club. I just, at this stage, I don't have the, the, um, the experience to coach like a county or, you know, first-class team as a head coach. But I would welcome the opportunity to be like a specialist coach, like a batting coach batting or something like that. Yeah, uh, a batting consultant. That would be awesome. Something like that, absolutely, yeah. yeah. And just tell yeah. us briefly about, uh, before we let you go, your son, Jaden. Um, I mean, he really seems to be making incredible strides as a young batsman as well. Yeah, look, Jaden, he, he, he has done exceptionally well as a batter for a young kid uh but he's actually quite a handy leg spinner as well and so um it's going to be hard for him to keep both going because as you know like most all-rounders it's very very difficult but i do see him playing a role with his leg spinners in the future but what he's done at the moment um I mean, he's he's done exceptionally well. I mean, for him to be his only kid in Western Australia, well, I don't know about in Australia, but certainly in Western Australia, that's ever been contracted at school when he hasn't been playing in the Perth system. So he's only played country cricket down here, and he got a contract to be a rookie contract for the WACA, for the Warriors, the Western Australian cricket team and so that's that's a real feather in his cap uh, because of how he's captained the under 15 state team and the under 17 state team he's made the Australian under 17s and and he's he's done really really well uh, I mean he, I think he was he was cricketer of the year for the Australian under 17s competition and he's played four years uh, in the under 19s uh, age group 
So he is, he is a good kid and he's got a good head on the shoulders. He's actually just decided to take two years uh, doing voluntary uh, missionary work with his church. And so basically what you do is you, you say, look, I want to serve a mission. So he's had to call up Adam Voges, who's a coach of Western Australia, and we let him know that, you know, when he, when he was contracted on a two-year contract, we let him know that, look, this could happen after the first year if he decides to do that. And he said, yep, no problem. We see him as a 15-year player yeah. for WA rather than just a, a five-year player type thing. And so when it came, he said, look, Adam, this is what I want to do. I want to go away. 18 to 20, I want to serve a mission with my church. And then what you do is for your church, you, he puts his papers in yeah. and basically um, he says, yes, his mum's Australian, his dad's Zimbabwean, um, lived in the UK, wherever, and the papers come back and it's unheard of that he can't nominate where to go, but he's actually, the church comes back and says, look, we would like you to serve a mission in Zimbabwe. Right. Yeah, in the Harare mission. Good. So basically that means that when these borders left, like so he left last week and he's in Perth floating around the suburbs somewhere, we're not allowed to um, see him for two years, even though he's only two, years, two hours up the road. We can speak to him on the phone, but we're not allowed to make contact because usually uh, these people are either over – overseas or in another part of the country. So um, it just so happens with this COVID thing that's going on, which is ridiculous in itself, yes. um, when the borders lift internationally from here in Australia, he can fly to Zim and he'll spend uh, however long. He's got two years till 2021, June 2021 is when it ends. Uh, uh, and so... Whenever those borders lift, he'll he'll come to Zimbabwe, and he is wrapped over the moon because he obviously I've got a lot of friends there, and he wants to go and you know, help people who are less fortunate and you know just serve serve work with his mission for his for his church. Unbelievable! And that, Murray Goodwin, is a very fitting way to end this interview. Thank you very very much Pleasure. for taking time to to be on the show. Really, this has been absolutely wonderful. Um, you were a real Ambassador in terms of cricket and what you achieved, um, regardless of whether it was for Zimbabwe, Sussex, Western Australia. Uh, congratulations on a wonderful career and thank you so much for being on the show. Thanks, Dean. I appreciate it, buddy. You've been listening to Dean at Stumps, Zimbabwe's only weekly cricket podcast.